It's time for JT the Brick. Receiver from the University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Target drops back to pass. Steps up. He looks. Over the middle. He's got it. Touchdown Raiders! That's cut by Cliff Branch. The summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch. All summer long. JT the Brick. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you. Stabler plays big back to pass. Get the big rush. Otto cuts the man. Stabler throwing deep for Branch. He's got it to 20. The 10. Touchdown Raiders! What separated Cliff was he was amazing, meticulous route runner. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. Welcome in, everybody. Appreciate you coming in on Raider Nation Radio on Wednesday, June 29th on the flagship of the Silver and Black. A busy show today. I'm wide open in the first hour, which is a rarity. Got some interviews in the second hour of the show, and I'd love to hear from you before I head out on a business trip with my son, who's now 21, sports management major, and we're hitting some spots in L.A. and San Diego for the weekend. Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the Silver and Black, in for me tomorrow. And Friday, we're off on the 4th of July, and then we're back, and we continue with the Summer Eclipse Branch. Uh, that's what I'm starting off every show with. The optimism that you will participate in the Summer Cliff, where we're looking to hear stories about Cliff Branch. And there's thousands upon thousands, millions of fans throughout the Raider Nation. Millions don't listen to me from noon to two, but we'll get there someday. But the thousands upon thousands that are listening today, I hope a few of you got a, a call on Cliff Branch because that's what we're doing. And we want to hear what the impact that Cliff had on you as we count down to his induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I will be in the Hall of Fame on Wednesday all the way to Sunday that week in Canton. So it's going to be a big, extended, long trip. A lot of people from the Raider Nation will be out in Canton, Ohio, and I hope you are too, but we'll all be there in spirit for Cliff Branch. And I got Cliff's bio in front of me, but I know it by heart. I knew Cliff well. I considered him a really good friend and someone that took me under his wing. So this is the least I can do, man. I'm going to emcee his Hall of Fame party, and I'm going to be out there for four or five days wearing a T-shirt that says Cliff and talking to as many Raider fans as I can, drinking cerveza when the Raiders aren't playing, celebrating Canton, Ohio, uh, walking through the area of all the busts and seeing. I like it. I like going through that museum. It's an unbelievable active museum. You might even see a Hall of Famer while you're walking through there. So Canton is on my mind. It's a little over a month after we get back from the 4th of July holiday. It's less than a month. So we're really firing on this, and the Raiders' season's going to start really quickly because they play in that first preseason game in Canton against Jacksonville, which is weird because they're playing Jacksonville in Jacksonville later in the year. So the way the schedule's you know, made up with the Rams and seeing them in the regular season, it's a little bit off. There's travel. There's a bunch of travel in the preseason and the regular season. I told you I didn't like the schedule. I don't like the early bye week. I don't like the primetime game being near the end of the year. I don't like a lot about this, but I like the team. I like the team a lot, and I think the team is better on paper than they were last year. They're, they're breaking in a new system with a new GM and a new head coach, and that's going to take time for it to flow. But everything we've been hearing about from Derek Carr and the veterans on the team seems to be it's going along great. Josh McDaniels is a great communicator. So is Dave Ziegler and the coaches. And all the coaches and the players are meeting up, and now they're on vacation. And they'll be back here pretty soon for training camp. And what I've been noticing now is that a lot of Raider fans want to talk about the depth chart and the position battles 
And what's going to happen? Because really the key, going on my 24th year with the team, I don't spend a lot of time on the practice squad. I don't. It's not worth it to me. I'd rather talk to Jim Plunkett, Fred Bolitnikoff, talk to the coach, and take calls from you. But those guys are really important. They're Raiders. And there's going to be a couple of players at the end of the depth chart that might not make the team and go to the practice squad. Might be players that get picked up and leave the franchise because they didn't have a position for them here because it was such a tough battle at the position they're fighting for. And then there's a bunch of guys that got to prove it. And that isn't a concern for me. That's natural in football. Natural in football, you want to draft players that become pro bowlers. The dream is to draft players that become Hall of Famers. Al Davis was brilliant at that. Think of all the induction speeches that were led by Al Davis for a reason. He drafted players that turned out to be the greatest players in the game. But there's a lot of other guys who never got into the Hall of Fame and are considered close to being Hall of Famers and then a bunch of other guys who are Raider legends who aren't in the Hall of Fame and then other players who are really worthy of putting on the silver and black. And then there's players that really didn't shine or pop and they didn't stick around so long and then there were players who didn't make the team. And that's what this process is about right now. Who's going to make the team? Who's going to be a star? And potentially who could be a Hall of Famer on this team? And there's a few. I mean, Derek Carr is putting up Hall of Fame numbers, period. Just like Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan, a lot of guys that I've been talking about who probably are going to get in because of their yards and touchdowns. And Carr has all that. If you add in the fourth quarter comebacks at you know year nine in his career, he has Hall of Fame stats on pace for that, but he's got to win playoff games. And last year, Derek led the team to the playoffs for the second time in his career, but they didn't win a playoff game. They lost in Cincinnati, as you recall. This year's got to be the next step. But we all know what's going to be difficult about this year is the schedule being more difficult, and they're in the toughest division in all of football. And that's not going to change anytime soon. That's really what is unique about this, is that Tom Brady played for a long time, 19 years in the AFC East, And the AFC East sucked for about 16 or 17 of those years. And I mean, they were terrible. Terrible. The Jets were awful. The Bills were awful. And the Dolphins were terrible. So Brady had it a little bit easier. And then when Brady ended up winning all those regular season games with Josh McDaniels, they were poised and ready and they won playoff games. Very similar. It happens in sports all the time. The Yankees, without all the, you know, throughout all their dynasties, won their division kind of easily. But then they had to earn it in the playoffs in the World Series. Well, the Raiders got to do all their dirty work in the regular season. They got to beat the Chargers again or split with the Chargers. They swept Denver the last two years, which I thought was really easy. Vic Fangio got fired for the Raiders. Ooh, that drives Denver crazy when I say that. Who's JT the Brick? Who is that hack, that Raider homer? No, it's true. Vic Fangio got fired because he couldn't beat the Raiders. And they hate the Raiders. And then it comes down to what we're going to see with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. I think everybody believes that they're not the team that they've been the last couple of years, but they're very, very good, worthy enough to be the favorite in the AFC West and the favorite in both games against the Raiders. So there's a lot of work to do in the regular season. The first game of the year is in the division on the road against the Chargers. Fortunately, that'll be a home game for the Raiders. I had a buddy of mine. Again, I'm going to L.A. after the show today, and I'm driving out with my son, Costa Mesa, Newport Beach area, and a friend of mine who is a Charger fan told me, he said, look, you know, the Raiders are really, really good, but you're not as good as the Chargers this year. And I said, why is that? And he went position by position. I heard him out, and I said, well, what about the coach, Boy Blunder? 
What about all your injuries every year? What about the offensive line? Doesn't sound great. And he had a good rebuttal. Charger fans think this is their window now. They got Justin Herbert. They fell to him, and they're going to win for a while. And Denver should feel pretty confident with Russell Wilson because he's a future Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer right now with his playoff wins, his Super Bowl appearances. But I think it's going to take some time to get that going. And they did lose a couple of players as they went out and got Russell Wilson. And I think the Raiders got better with their roster. So I'm all over the place here in the monologue as we're talking about Cliff Branch and the Raiders. You want to get through with a Cliff story, it always works, especially to get the show going with some energy anywhere from Oakland, the Bay Area, Vegas, or all points in between 702-365-9200. I was surfing on Raiders.com today, Raiders.com, where a lot of my content lives because we interview all these legends and former players and former this and that, and they put it up there. They take it and put it up in podcast form, and I greatly appreciate it. Uh, Bucky Brooks from NFL.com wrote a really good column that I read, What to Watch for the Raiders' 2021 Draft Class as it enters its second year, which is a really good piece of content if you're a Raider fan because Bucky kind of nailed really what the big issue is for this team. It's always the draft class the year before. How are they developing? And there's some hits and misses with this draft class. A Bucky book started with Alex Leatherwood, the guard tackle. He wrote the former first-round pick could return to his natural position at 2022 with the Raiders, rotating him through right guard and right tackle throughout off-season workouts. Leatherwood's combination of size, strength, and power could give the team a run at some dominant pass rushers that are positioned at the left defensive end. Considering Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Bradley Chubb, Randy Gregory, could spend time after uh, opposite him. The Raiders could benefit from aligning the massive second-year pro at right tackle. Well, let's stop for a second. We all know this. And Bucky pointed it out so we could talk about it here. He could emerge as a solid starter and key contributor to an offense that should light up scoreboards around the league. My point is, everyone I talk to, everybody, including... McCants, who we had on yesterday, our guest, former offensive lineman. Everybody's talking about Leatherwood. I think you'd agree he's probably the biggest topic in Raiderland. Is he going to start a right tackle or are they going to have to move him inside? The only reason why they move him inside where he should work, he's a monster. He's massive. He should be able to play right guard 17 games after winning the Outland Trophy at right tackle. He should be able to do that, but he's supposed to play right tackle. And he's got to be really good. And they drafted him to be a pro bowler. And he's not on pace to be that type of player yet. But hopefully some people are concer- encouraged this offseason. A new offensive line coach, a new voice, uh, his conditioning, which I didn't think was a problem last year. He's a big guy. He's going to remain big. And how he can evolve to be a better player. Then Bucky Brooks wrote about Trevon Merrig. After logging nearly 1,300 snaps on defense and special teams as a rookie, He could vie for all-star honors in Patrick Graham's new scheme. Merrick's versatility could align in the slot to handle some of the nickel cornerback duties in a variety of sub-packages. As the Raiders' defense evolves to incorporate more concepts and personnel groups under Graham, the former TCU standout has a chance to develop into a critical chess piece that fills a variety of roles. Man, I love the way that was written. I agree with that because what Bucky Brooks is pointing out, a former defensive back, 
is that Patrick Graham is evolving this defense into several looks, several packages where guys are going to jump inside, outside. They're going to stop the run. They're going to play center field. You know, Merrick got nearly 1,300 snaps last year. That's a tremendous amount of time on the field for a young player. And I think he's a very good center fielder. He could get better at intercepting the football, but that will come. You know, he dropped one or two that he should have caught, but that'll get better in time. So I like him there. Then he went to Malcolm Kuntz from last year. And Bucky Brooks said, just because Chandler Jones and Max Crosby man the edge rush spots in the starting lineup, it doesn't minimize Kuntz's role as a super sub off the bench. The second-year pro could play a key role in the rotation as the designated pass rusher with the potential to rush from either side of the line. Bravo. That's exactly why he was brought in by Mike Mayock. I remember interviewing Mike Mayock on draft day. He was thrilled that Kuntz was there. They were targeting him just for that reason. To line him up on both sides, let him play the edge. Very athletic, can go sideline to sideline, and he's got some pretty slick moves. He needs to be healthy. We need to see what he can produce this year. Then they went to, Bucky went to Tyree Gillespie, the safety. He said if he's going to make an impact as a second-year pro, he's got to carve out a role as a core special teams player and a backup defender. Well, let me st- stop there. It doesn't matter. You know, the problem with the Raiders before Dave Ziegler got here is they've had a bunch of guys that can maybe play if they're called on to play corner. Amik Robertson, they can play special teams. We're aware of that. What about the guys who are going to pop and compete for a starting position? And Gillespie, clearly here, a second-year player, is a guy fighting for a role on this team. And Bucky basically had him as a developmental player competing for playing time. And that, that's tough to do because there's a lot of people coming in trying to make this team, and Gillespie needs a strong showing in the preseason to lock down a spot. Then we get to Divine Diablo, the linebacker. According to Bucky Brooks, the former safety-turned linebacker could become an intriguing chess piece for Graham in the hybrid defense. Instincts, toughness, physicality enable him to survive in the box as an undersized linebacker on rundowns. And he showed the ability to weave through traffic on the way to the ball, and those skills could serve him well as a big nickel defender. Here we go again. I'm standing up in the studio. Graham's hybrid. You know, multiple looks. You get off the field. You get on the field. Three, four, four, three, five, two. We're moving you around. Well, if you're going to move chess pieces around, two of the players that I really like on this team to move around are Malcolm Kuntz and Divine Diablo. I don't need to see them on every play. I need their legs fresh. I need them to be explosive when they come in the game. That's exactly what they do. And last but not least, Nate Hobbs, the cornerback. According to Bucky Brooks at Raiders.com, after a solid rookie season manning the slot, Hobbs has shown the potential to play like an all-star 12th starter. The defender with outstanding instincts, awareness, and ball skills is a natural fit in the slot, and Graham should be able to take advantage of his skills against spread sets. Whether it's matching Hobbs up against slot receivers or pitting the second-year pro against smaller wideouts on the outside, the Raiders have the potential to play musical chairs based on matchups with their cornerbacks. So that is an important role. So all of these guys drafted last year, notice their opportunities to play this year and how they're going to have to elevate their game to the next level. Great work by Bucky Brooks. Fantastic content at Raiders.com as he's looking ahead. He's looking ahead and he is excited for all of this here. 
Now you add in what they were able to bring in with Chandler Jones, Perryman coming back, undrafted free agents, Rock Yassin, who I'll talk about next hour. Pro Football Focus came out with their ratings of secondaries in the NFL. So they rated all 32 secondaries, and you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy where Pro Football Focus slotted the Raiders if you haven't heard it yet on another show. So that's something that we'll get to, and we'll talk about that. As we're brought to you by the Strat, where Sammy Hagar is playing, and there's limited tickets left. There's about 250 tickets. Go to strat.com to find a way to see the Red Rocker, Sammy Hagar, and elevate your Las Vegas experience. You know, entertainment and concerts there, the Strat has elevated their game. And to have this great relationship with Sammy Hagar and friends, we are ready to roll. Sammy and the... Wabos are coming to the Strat Theater this July. Sammy sets the tone for some of the greatest rock anthems ever written and will bring back and bring us all back to the early Red Rocker years. Excited about that. So go to the Strat. Go to Strat.com and see the special offer there. And we'd love you to see Sammy Hagar and Friends, man. One of his recent concerts at the Strat, he brought up Bob Weir from the Grateful Dead. So if you're looking for a new show and something cool to see, I mean, I've seen Sammy a bunch of times, but haven't seen him here yet. That's going to be a great show. As PTs fuels the monologue as we open up the show and we are ready to roll. Again, 17 minutes into the show, no Cliff Branch calls. That's a failure on my part. We're doing the summer of Cliff. We're looking for people in every time slot from Modesto all the way to the Panhandle in Florida to pick up Cliff Branch as we're heading into the Hall of Fame, 702-365-9200. Other big topic today, uh, everybody, including myself, looking at our phones, waiting for Woj bombs or Shams Sharania to tell us where these free agents are going to go. The Nuggets are making deals. The Knicks seem to be making deals as they're going after Jalen Brunson. If they end up getting Brunson, my head is going to pop because he's not Isaiah Thomas. He's not John Stockton. He's not Magic Johnson. And the Knicks traded a bunch of players yesterday and cleared out a bunch of salary cap room to go get him. And if that's the big move by the Knicks and that's the big move in free agency, I'm going to be really disappointed. In regards to Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook, as you know, opted in for $47 million to play with the Lakers. In the perfect world, he comes back for the Lakers and plays at a really high level and doesn't shoot. If he doesn't shoot and tries to get triple doubles, getting layups and free throws, the rebounds will come, the assists will come, and the Lakers will be a lot better. But if he continues to play out of control and shoots from all over the court, then the Lakers are going to go nowhere. For Kyrie Irving, there is a little chance that he signed that deal. He opted in. At $36 he opted in for the opportunity to jump in and have an opportunity to get traded. And if he's going to get traded, someone's going to have to match that salary of $36 And that's going to be really tough to do. But the news is coming out that the salary cap in the NBA is about to increase significantly to $123.6 million. That is a big increase of $11.6 million from this season. And I wanted to tie that into football quickly. Why does the salary cap keep going up in sports? When are we going to get to the point where the salary cap goes down? And it's not going down because of Amazon. It's not going down because of Apple TV. It's not going down because the networks are desperate to put these games on television. And the franchise is going up and up by like a billion dollars. If you've owned an NFL franchise in the last 10 years, not two or three, in the last 10 years, 
your franchise has gone up between $1 billion and $1.8 billion. Think of that number there, and the players get a piece of that because the players get to split the revenue with the owners, a close to 50-50 split, so the, the numbers have to go up. So the players in the NBA, and especially the NFL, are feasting on more and more money at their position compared to the legends who played before them because when Joe Montana played, there was no internet. There was no streaming. There was no Amazon. There was no Hulu. There was no NFL network. There were no games in London and in Germany. So there was only so much money to go around. And fortunately, Eddie DeBartolo was very generous with Joe Montana and paid him well, but it's not paying them what they're paying quarterbacks today like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. So this is a good sign for the NFL because the NBA salary cap's going up, the NFL salary cap is going up, and players are trying to hang on to their jobs because the longer they can play in this league, the more money that they're going to make. Uh, the Watson NFL hearing is resuming again today, and it's been very tight-lipped. Usually something leaks out of this. The reason why nothing's leaking is it's not an open forum. It's the NFL, the union, Deshaun Watson, a judge, and the attorneys there who are in the room were told, do not leak anything because they know exactly who could leak it. Remember, John Gruden's emails were leaked because there's hundreds of people in the Washington Redskins at the time organization in the NFL and attorneys and cell phones and things are going back and forth. The Wall Street Journal gets the emails. Everything was leaked. The NFL today is saying nothing on this as Watson is meeting with his players association. What I find interesting is the only thing I'm realizing from interviewing people after the sides first met on Tuesday is the case of Deshaun Watson. And here's the case. The union is protecting Watson by saying he wasn't charged criminally and he's denying all the allegations. Now, I want to bring that up because that's really important. We're forgetting about that. I've taken a lot of calls from people who have been saying, JT, he's done this, he's done that. We don't know. We weren't in that massage room. We don't know what happened. But there's several women who say this happened to him, and he's denying every one. So if he kept denying all of this and kept going individually to court with all these civil cases, he could have cleared his name. It's he said, she said. But the fact that he did it via Instagram and direct messages and left some comments with these women, reacted to some of these women's emotions, it looks like he's dead man walking. So it could be one year as a minimum. If it is one year as a minimum, there'll be an appeal process there. But Watson has been accused by 25 women of actions ranging from sexual assault to inappropriate behavior during these massage sessions. The league can't afford to let him back in. They can't afford to do it because of the protests, the women, NFL fans, and the fans all around the country and the reaction to this. So this is a big story here as we wait on exactly what's going to happen. And then just to tag on to this a little bit more, Baker Mayfield. I like Baker Mayfield. I feel, I feel like I'm his agent every day. I love Baker Mayfield. I think he's an excellent player. And the Browns threw in the towel on him too early. Here's Baker Mayfield talking about the frustration he's going through right now because he's technically with the Browns and he's not going to play for them and he hasn't been traded yet. You know, I think I got frustrated with it not happening before, uh, you know, like mini camp and all those things. Uh, but that's, that's the stuff that's out of my control. And so, you know, let those things happen and, and fall into place. And so right now I'm just controlling what I can and, and enjoying this. Uh, this is Baker Mayfield in Norman, Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma at a camp. And he was asked about the decision 
from not only him, but the Browns who started this to move on. I think it's uh, been pretty obvious the mutual decision on both sides is, is to move on. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for my four years in Cleveland. There's a lot of ups and downs and a ton of learning experiences that, you know, I'll forever keep with me. Teammates and friends and, and relationships that I'll have for a lifetime. God, Baker's taking the high road, isn't he? He sounds like the perfect student, the perfect husband, the perfect quarterback now. More from Baker Mayfield on working it and working out and what the failure was with the Browns and how he's trying to become a better quarterback. But I think a lot of people think if they didn't have a quarterback for the next year, would, would there be any chance of reconciliation there? No, I, I think for that to happen, there would have to be some reaching out. But uh, we're, we're ready to move on, I think, on both sides. Yeah, we're ready to move on on both sides. That's a big story here because you know, I could tie everything I do to the Raiders. The Raiders have the ideal quarterback. They really do when it comes to a guy that everybody has confidence in in the community with Derek Carr, his stats, his ability to win. You know, Derek Carr has been arguably the best player or one of the top two or three players on this team as this team continues to grow through growing pains, hiring and firing coaches, changing the front office. And Derek Carr is consistent. And he's not a whiner. He doesn't go to the media. He sits there and he goes to work. He's the first one there, last one to go because he is desperate to win. Uh, one of the tweets at me, JT, I think the suspension is looking six to eight weeks, according to NBC Sports. Uh, that comes from Frank. So, look, if it is six to eight games, and it could happen, I'd be wrong on that because I've been saying he's going to get a year all along. If it is six to eight, that's the precedent set then. So the next time any player is accused of sexual assault or wrongdoing or lewd behavior and doesn't go to court criminally, they can't get more of the six to eight games because Deshaun Watson only got that. I think with Deshaun, they have to give him more because he's $230 million into the Browns, the face of a franchise, and the league's got to get it right the first time. That's the monologue as we open up the show, brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. This summer, we love the botanist gin, the cool, refreshing gin. Once you try it, you won't go back to your old gin, a gin and tonic, a gin and lemonade. All the drinks that you have with gin – Ask your bartender or server for a botanist. It's all over Resorts World, another proud partner of our show. I see all the signage and all the great experiences there. It's the summer of Cliff Branch. When we come back, more sound of Cliff and more tributes to Cliff Branch, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. He waited too long for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and it's our job to make it a party. 702-365-9200, as Canton can't get here quick enough. Bobby's there back in the studio. I'm in my home studio. I'm packed. I'm ready to go to Southern California after the show. So I'd like to hear from you. A couple of good interviews next hour with some Impact NBA guests. Yeah, what a catch by Branch. That's what we're doing here. We're paying tribute to Cliff Branch. If you want to get through, jump on in on Cliff and the impact that he's had. It's a tremendous impact, a tremendous impact that he's had along the way. Because what he was able to do is starting off slow in his career, and someone who had the drops early in his career realized that in order to be the speed burner that Al Davis wanted, he would have to catch the ball 
in space before he would get the trust to go up top from the quarterbacks that he played with. And once those quarterbacks saw it, that he worked after practice with the great Tom Flores, everything changed. Everything changed because of what happened with Tom Flores working extra sessions with Cliff. Coach Flores has told me this several times. That was the difference in all of this. It got Cliff the confidence opposite of Fred Belitnikoff to go out and make plays. Then Cliff became an involved into the player who always wanted the ball. And it took time for Cliff to understand that he was not going to get the ball on every play because the Raiders had one of the greatest offensive lines in, every, in any era, and they were going to run the ball, and they were going to run the ball downhill. So then Cliff would have to get open on third downs, and his strength was going deep, very deep downfield. And the quarterbacks who all threw to him gained confidence because of his work ethic, and the work ethic was a key, a key part to the development and the great career of Cliff Branch. I love that about that. And that was confirmed not only by Tom Flores, but uh, Fred Belitnikoff to me several times, is that Cliff had to prove at practice and with his extra work that the speed mattered. We all knew that Cliff had the speed and speed kills. But the question was, could he come down with the ball in traffic? Could he catch a ball if it hit him right in the hands? And he was able to do that. And once the trust process came, the track star began to take off. And then he began to take off, and then there was no stopping him. At the time, the Steelers had John Stallworth and Lynn Swan. And Lynn Swan gets a lot of heat because Cliff Branch's numbers were better than Lynn Swan, but Lynn Swan played great in the Super Bowl. He had ballerina-type catches, some of the most dramatic catches still to this day in NFL history, and that catapulted Lynn Swan ahead of Cliff Branch for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But at that time, in that era, everyone from the Steelers secondary, including Mel Blunt, to the great coaches around the league, knew that speed was the difference with this era of Raider football. After Warren Wells and the great receivers that started off this franchise, Branch took over for one of the great runs in Raider history. Cliff ended up winning three Super Bowls with the Silver and Black, a rarity in Raider world to have all three of them on that short list and to make big catches and big plays in all of those games. The 99-yarder at Washington, the ability to do it in the Super Bowl and Super Bowl 15 against Philadelphia, Super Bowl 18, blocking skills at the line of scrimmage in the great Marcus game, and then the ability in the original Super Bowl, Super Bowl 11, where Fred Belitnikoff, who didn't score a touchdown, but was the MVP of that game, because Freddie had two big plays that changed down in distance in that game and was the difference. Fred Bolitnikoff often talks about his younger brother, the player that he helped develop. Freddie got better because of Cliff, and Freddie's one of the greatest of all time. So with all this combined, we celebrate Cliff Branch, and we're really excited to get ready for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Told you we had a couple of NBA guests today before we get to the calls, and I'm excited because at this time of year, we're just sitting around waiting for NBA free agency. Matt Brooks is kind enough to join us from Nets Daily. We were trying to get him on yesterday and to figure out what's going on with Kyrie Irving. So, Matt, thanks a lot for coming on. And as Kyrie opted in, did you see this coming? Did you have it this way the whole time? Yeah, um, this was fascinating. I mean, the, this was essentially a game of chicken, and the Nets called you know Kyrie's bluff to the degree that they said, hey, we're willing to deal with a world where – 
not only not only we lose Kyrie Irving, but we lose Kevin Durant also, which is like a crazy thing to you know they they obviously didn't say this out loud, but this was reported through I think that was through uh, Brian Windhorst on ESPN. That's a big time reporter reporting that. Um, you know, it, again, it was a crazy game of chicken. Ultimately, I think they felt like they had a pretty good sense of what his market value looked like. Now, you have to remember, this team, they, they dealt with, you know, uh, the whole uh, vaccine issue last year to the point where there was some, I guess, scuttlebutt at the deadline about whether they were looking for trades, you know, trying to figure out other solutions outside of Kyrie. Presumably, they got a pretty good idea of what Kyrie's market was like then. Um, and, and I wonder if they used that information and that intel to kind of fuel their decision to play hardball this time around with Kyrie and say, essentially, hey, like, if you want to take the taxpayers' mid-level exception, which is $6 million to the Lakers, go right ahead. You're going to lose $30 million this year and then lose the opportunity to uh, make more money on your next contract. Um, and if, or if you can find a sign-in trade, by all means, you know, if, if you can figure out how to do that for us, please let us know. Um, and, you know, I, it's pretty clear that the market was pretty barren um, outside of a, a Russell Westbrook trade or something like that. Matt Brooks joins us. Yeah, it is a compelling topic for everything you just said. Now, here are some big topics as we try to carry this forward. What happens if the Nets play hardball? I would. I wouldn't give him a new contract. I wouldn't offer him a short-term contract. I'd have him play it out. But if he walks at the end of the year for nothing or he becomes a head case and he wants to trade at the trade deadline because he doesn't feel like the organization, the Nets, are going to extend him long term, what happens in Brooklyn? How toxic can this get? Yeah, I mean, it, they basically just bought themselves more time with the same decision at the end of the year. Um, you know, you're probably looking at the same couple of teams, or if it's only one team, same one team in the Los Angeles Lakers that are going to be pursuing him um, at the end of the year. But they bought themselves time. They've given themselves the opportunity to, to you know, A, see if he can have a really good season and, you know, and, and see how many games he can play, which can either lead to the Nets themselves playing really well or at least him I guess, reclamating a little bit of his market value. And, and it's just, again, I think time in this situation is, is their biggest ally because, that's, you know, at the moment, the status quo with Kyrie and just his perception within the league, uh, they didn't really have anywhere else to turn but to say, hey, like, let's just see if we can make this work for one more year. Um, and and if, if it, you know, let's say things don't go well and this year gets out of hand, yeah, maybe you do look to trade him at the deadline. Um, you obviously want to get something back for him. So that's, that's, I think, what you're looking at. Um, and then the question becomes, like, you know, if they move on from Kyrie, is there a contingency plan with KD? Are they able to say, hey, like, if we lose this guy, what are we bringing in instead? Um, that'll be, I guess, the next question. But we're a ways away from that. I think right now they're just going to go for it. One last run with this specific team, now with Ben Simmons. And we're going to see where it goes. Matt Brooks is our guest. Follow him at Matt Brooks NBA and Nets reporter Nets Daily. Presby Nation, yeah, let's go. Let's stay with Ben Simmons. Uh, this is, I think, he's the most important player in the league this off season to be coached up. I mean, the Nets organization has to work with him on the free throw line, confidence shooting jumpers, mid range, uh, running the court because his cardio, his defense, his ability to facilitate. We know how great of a player he was. How big of a work in progress is this? No one seems to know. It's the biggest mystery in the NBA if this guy can still play at a high level. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, just seeing what he looks like in next to these guys in particular, how they're going to use him, 
Um, is he going to be used as more of a big man who's setting screens for Kyrie and KD, or is this going to be is it going to be kind of similar to some of his earlier years in Philly where he's handling the ball a little bit more? Um, the defense, I think, will translate right away. Um, I, that's that's just going to be his obvious, um, I guess, addition and, and what he's bringing to the table. But there's a lot of questions. Um, you know, I, I think at this point, you, you kind of know what you're getting from Ben Simmons. Uh, maybe he can improve the free throw shooting. But, yeah, I, I, it'll just be a question of, like, what does he look like and how creative are they about using him in a way where you're seeing more of his strengths and the weaknesses are at least hidden a little bit more uh, next to some, like, all-world shot creation and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Well, what are Net fans thinking? They're, they're very tough for me to figure out net fans who are they how passionate are they were they they're mostly nick fans who live in brooklyn or were they the jersey fans that did were upset that they left and went to brooklyn i have a hard time figuring out who these fans are and how vocal they are and how happy they are that Kyrie opted in considering Kyrie wasn't available last year what's the temperature of the brooklyn net fan walking around brooklyn tonight Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, figuring out who the, Nan- the Nets fan base is is a tough one for sure, and I'm I'm still not completely sure uh, who's in it. It's it's a lot of uh, it's a mix. You know, I think it's a mix of new age Brooklyn fans, Jersey fans, fans of the star players. I think the general consensus overall is that everybody's pretty relieved about this. I mean, you look at the situation where this is a team if they lose him, they're effectively rebuilding without their own picks. And that's just a situation for as many picks as you may be able to extrapolate with a, with a trade for Kyrie Irving or even Kevin Durant if it gets to that stage. Um, I, I still think it's just more preferable to take this and say, hey, we have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons. That might be the best big three in the league. Certainly is, and I think, in the Eastern Conference. Um, let's take a stab at this and see if we can all get on the same page, build some continuity and really go for it this year and treat this really it's like it's one last run. Like this is the ultimate boomer bust team if there ever was one. <laughs> I love this. No, I think what you're saying is fair. I love this one last run when they didn't win a playoff game. It's not like this team went to the Eastern Conference Finals and they got beat the way Embiid got beat by Kawhi in Toronto on that ball that bounced off the rim and Philly's sitting there going, oh my God, let's bring it back and try to win. And they get hardened for this. This Brooklyn team did nothing because Kyrie wasn't available and he gave them such a bad seed that they end up with Boston and it, they play them hard, but they can't even get out of the first round here. I want, I want to wrap it up with Kevin Durant. He, he chirps a lot. He talks a lot. He's always on social media. How long until Durant speaks up on this on a podcast or with someone else? Because he's not going to give it to anybody unless people poke him and ask him his opinion. Do you have any way of understanding the relationship as we speak between between Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Yeah, I think the relationship's still strong. Um, you know, it seems like just based on some of his recent comments, they're very strong in terms of their friendship. I do wonder if the business aspect in terms of them playing on the same team is starting to deteriorate a little bit. Um, you know, even just in Kyrie's statement, he said, hey, I want to finish out this four-year deal with Kevin. It wasn't, hey, like, let's, you know, let's go for this. And, you know, me and Kevin are going to try to play together for as long as humanly possible. Like, it, it just sort of feels like I wonder if there's a little bit of realization that this team does kind of have not just a ceiling, but in terms of like there, there's a strict deadline on how long these guys are going to be together. So 
I, I do expect him to be relieved, and he he has his own podcast. He's kind of one of these new media guys where he essentially uses his own platform to to get the opinions out that you normally hear on other platforms. So I do expect him to seem, you know, I guess sound relieved, but I, I wonder if we're going to get some nuggets in terms of what he's thinking about that relationship with Kyrie long-term. Thank you. Appreciate all your work, Matt. Thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, thank you. All right, you can follow Matt Brooks at Matt Brooks NBA. Appreciate him checking in today. We have more NBA content coming up here because that's the big story in sports today. Everyone waiting to see what's going to drop. NBA free agency starts tomorrow. And again, LeBron James isn't moving. Anthony Davis probably not moving in the trade. Giannis Antetokounmpo not moving. Luka Doncic. But there are some pretty good players. And the opt-in, opt-out. Will James Harden get a new contract? Will Kyrie, as we just talked to Matt, get a contract extension? I would say no. And what's going to happen? Who's going to get better? It looks like the only lock is the Knicks getting Jalen Brunson and what they're going to be able to do with him. I constantly talk about Virgin Hotels Las Vegas. It's where you'll find me. And, man, what a kickoff they have for July 4th weekend starting this Friday. If you go to 24 Oxford, that's one of their clubs there. Spite will be performing inside. Doors open at 6.30. I always go see Sky to Miles Bourbon and Blues inside the Shag Room. That's my late-night stop to see live music. One of the best guitar players and singers I've ever seen. I would go check that out. And Snoop Dogg, 11 a.m. at the Beach Club there, which is going to be fantastic. And this Saturday, Cassie Beach House, known for their coastal Italian cuisine, is going to have a live DJ. July 4th specials everywhere inside Virgin in their great restaurants, including one steakhouse, which I love. Uh, Casa Calavera is going to have a great night on the 4th of July. So if you're looking to do something local, and for all of our Raider fans coming in from out of town, check out Virgin Hotels for their restaurants, their pools, what they do inside, all the live music and their entertainment. And when there's, when there's a concert and it's at the theater, you don't want to miss out. One of the best venues I've ever been. Met my wife back in the day at the old joint for the Rolling Stones there. And now the theater's even better as they dropped a lot of money into it to make it more exclusive and fun with a new lounge. I love going to Virgin Hotels for live music. When we come back, more on the Raiders, Derek Carr and the offensive line. Will they be pass protectors or run blockers? Before you say both, you better get one right. What does Derek Carr have to do? And how about moving Carr outside the pocket to make more plays? We know Derek can do it. JT, as we continue on the flagship of the Silver and Black, on a hot day here today. Now it's getting real hot on the flagship of the Raiders. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's new terminology. There's new words that mean new things. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, you basically, you, you don't erase everything you've learned, but from a word standpoint, you know, we're using different words to get certain things done, right? Um, there's different philosophies, there's different things like that, and um, you're trying to take it and execute what Josh wants at the highest level. You know, that's how I've always been. I told you guys, even with the other coaches have been here, I try and take what they're teaching me and do it at the highest level to their, like, when they're watching the game, that's exactly what they want. So there's a lot of work going into it, you know, with me, with Andre and the communication and uh, with the running backs. I mean, it takes all 11 with what, with how we run things. It takes everybody to be on the same page. So it's not just one group. I mean, it's all of us making sure that we're all on the same page so that we can ex- execute at the high level. That's Derek Carr. 
as our summer cliff continues, uh, please take a look at my Twitter right now at JT the Brick. You'll see one of the images that we're putting out for the summer here. Cliff to Canton on our show here live on Raider Nation Radio. Want to ask you how it looks? Uh, tell me what you think about it. Go to JT the Brick on Twitter as we got some new imaging for Cliff Branch. It looks great, man. To see Cliff to Canton and to see our show lined up with it, we are just thrilled to be a part of this. So go take a look at it at JT the Brick. And again, our tribute to Cliff to Canton. Big Al in San Francisco seen Cliff Branch and met Cliff Branch and knew Cliff Branch. How are you, Big Al? Um, JT, I'm doing good. Doing well, thank you. Life is good. Big Al, are you there? I apologize. There you go, Al. Can you hear me? I got you. Okay. Now, just uh, thank you for taking my call, JT. I appreciate it. Looking forward to Cliff going in the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm glad it's getting done. There's no need to rehash the past. You know, we all know it should have happened a long time ago. But um, it's going in now, and I'm, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to it. It's, it will be a great day in the history of the Raiders. Um, you know, it's interesting. You know, we take a look at you know what Derek was just saying and whatnot, and um, Derek had a brother, or has a brother, um, David Carr. Mm-hmm. And David Carr was a very good quarterback. He was the number one overall draft pick by the Houston Texans, I believe, back in 2002. And David Carr could flat out play. He had a great arm. But David Carr couldn't stay upright, and he couldn't stay upright for such a long time. They let him go, and he ended up healing, and he ended up winning a Super Bowl as a backup with the New York Giants. Mm-hmm. Now, Derek Carr is going to be playing behind uh, you know, an offensive line that is suspect, just like his older brother David did. And Derek has the weapons. I mean, there's more weapons on this team than I can remember in a long time. And the Raiders had some very good, you know, very good weapons on, you know, on their team going back to 2015, 2016 with Crabtree, you know, Cooper, etc. There were some very good football players, on, you know, who were, you know, skill players catching the ball. But it doesn't really matter because if Derek Carr is ends up on flat on his back like David Carr did for mm-hmm. the first five years of his of his career. Because the Raider offensive line is substandard, it doesn't really matter if I'm running the routes because the ball's not going to get out there anyway or get to where it needs to be. These routes are precise. Running the route tree, you know, the route trees aren't hard, but running them precisely when you know is you know is difficult enough. It's difficult when the offensive line is not able to hold its own. So at the end of the day. Uh, the game is played in the trench, and we better we better find a way to be able to upgrade the offensive line and make sure that some of these younger players you mm-hmm. know, can start to you know start to mature and become bona fide you know bona fide starters. Not necessarily they don't necessarily have to be Pro Bowl players, Got it. but if they can't keep them upright, it's a problem. You're right about that, that Big Al. I, w- I would say that this offensive line's a little bit better than what David Carr had to deal with, but you make a great point. A, a topic we've been talking about. Which I agree. You talk about upgrading, running out of time to upgrade. That's why I believe with the money that they have left on cutdowns to 53, the Raiders will find a starting offensive lineman before they play at the Chargers. That's at least my hope on the flagship of the Silver and Black.